God, <laughs> it's a challenging passage that you place before us today. Um, they're not subjects that we are used to talking about in our world, demon possession and um, what happens after that. And, and Lord, we pray that you would guide me in this, uh, that the preparation that I've done would not have been in independence, but it would be to your glory and from your might, um, and that you would speak to your people today. Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would build us up more and more to be the living people of God who show what you are like through who we are, who are transformed to be like Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you uh, haven't got a Bible open uh, already, then uh, yeah, take this as EQ. Uh, if you don't have one, there are some at the back. If you're a regular here at Gospel Church or relatively new here at Gospel Church and you would like one of the Luke Scripture journals uh, to, to note in and to read along with, feel free. There are a few of those left at the back as well. Uh, but our passage today begins in this interesting spot and a really, really brief moment that it moves on from. Um, but it's something we should give a bit of time to. Um, we ought to linger on this because there's this ama amazing thing that just happens and then it gets left by the wayside. Um, not really. It, it's what keys everything else to happen. But it's such a phenomenal moment in one verse. Uh, Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. Now, this might just seem to us as we read Luke's gospel to be another miracle, you know, just another one in a long line of miracles in Jesus' life. To some extent, it is. He did a lot of miracles. Uh, but put yourself in the shoes of this man for just a moment. Uh, the Bible presents us with a bloke who is possessed by a demon. Now, for some of us here, we might doubt things like spiritual evil, but the Bible isn't here trying to argue for or against that, uh, although the proof is in the pudding here. It's, uh, it, it, it's clear that the Bible takes it to be true, but, but this guy's demon possession presents itself in a bit of a different way. Uh, he can't speak. He's mute. Um, you know, how, how long he's been mute for, we don't get to know. Uh, but it seems likely, really, given the circumstances, that it had been for a, a long time. Now, just imagine that, you know, put yourself in that position for a second. Not being able to use the tongue in your mouth. He wasn't a man who'd, had, who'd lost his tongue or didn't have a tongue. He had one there, he just couldn't use it. Matt, like, like, stick your tongue on the top of your mouth right now. Okay, now keep it there for the next, like, 30 days. Um, no, no, don't do that. Um, like, it's, it's, and like, it's not like he was going like this. He actually couldn't speak. Unable to speak. What a, imagine it. It would be horrendous. Not being able to use it in a largely illiterate society, by the way. So this guy who probably wasn't afforded the luxury of being able to write because he couldn't talk, is unable to speak, maybe for a year, you know, maybe for, for 10 years, maybe his whole life. We don't get told it. Um, but for this man, you know, every urge he had, which required him to express himself, would have been a terrible reminder. Every time he might have said, excuse me, or might have said, what's that? Or might have said, hey, good morning, or might have said, oh, that hurts. You know, any of these things and, and an innumerable number more would have been a reminder over and over again that evil is in control of his life. 
He's not in charge here. You know, this demon has power over me would have been the reminder for him. And then Jesus enters his life and everything is changed. Jesus casts out the demon and immediately he can talk. That's a pretty remarkable thing, really, to cover in one verse, isn't it? Uh, imagine the overwhelming sense of freedom for him and, and, and for the crowd around. Imagine the amazement, right? You're used to this guy not being able to talk. You would have been so used to it. But perhaps, you know, perhaps you'd never heard him speak, you know? You didn't know what his voice sounded like. Uh, and suddenly there's a new voice in the room or in the, in the crowd because Jesus has released him and the people marveled, we read. But some people don't want to believe. And, and I say that they don't want to because the reasons that they chuck out here uh, not to praise Jesus for what he's done are just a touch on the crazy side. Uh, one group are genuinely offensive. They go, yeah, yeah, he's casting out a demon, but he does it by the power of Satan, you know. Um, now, they don't actually use the word Satan there. They use the word uh, Bilzebul, which Deb had a, a very valiant attempt at pronouncing. Um, it's one of those old words, so we don't specifically know how it was pronounced. So that's our, that's our out clause here. But uh, it's a derogatory word for Satan. Um, it's, it's using the name of a pagan god, Baal, that then gets... Uh, a bit twisted into Beal uh, and, and using it to refer to Satan. And it kind of means the Lord of the Flies, you know, not nothing to do with the movie specifically, but, uh, you know, the Lord of what stinks, basically. It's a, it's a title they use to emphasize the filthiness of the source of this power. Now, others, others in the crowd, they're not ready to be quite as rough on Jesus, uh, but they also aren't convinced that, that what he's doing is real, or that, 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 that he is who he says he is. And so they demand a sign. <laughs> I imagine it. Okay, Jesus, you've made your point. You claim to be the son of God. Could you provide us with some proof for that? having just cast out that demon. And can we acknowledge how mad that is, right? Um, Jesus has just cast a demon out in their sight from a guy that they knew and with visible change to him because he can speak now. But, but, and they want a sign. But do you see, there's kind of two camps here. Uh, in, in the opposition to Jesus. Uh, there are those who outright oppose Jesus, and there are those who want him to prove himself some more. Um, those who are on the other side of the fence, and those who are sitting pretty, pretty resolutely on the fence, we might call them, the fence sitters. From, the, uh, from our perspective, it might have been tempting in Jesus' position, right? If you were in his position, to make your response, and just move on, right? You know, next crowd, these, these guys are useless. Uh, but that's not what he does, actually. Uh, he takes this as an opportunity. He takes their opposition, and he shows them not just the foolishness of their words, but the seriousness of their own situation. Here's what he says. He says, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? But you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Basically, Jesus is saying, 
think about what you're saying here. Satan is casting out his own minions. Now, now if this was the one and only exorcism of Jesus, by Jesus, you might believe it, right? Perhaps Satan would sacrifice one of his demons for the sake of fooling people into a false messiah, right? That's, that's, that'd be understandable. But, but Jesus hasn't just cast out one demon, has he? Um, more than once in Luke's gospel so far, we have been, we've seen these specific people healed of specific demon oppressions. A few times we've actually had these uh, throwaway lines where, where Jesus is healing many and, and many were coming to him with demon oppressions and, and he was casting out as many as came to him. We get more than once those sorts of statements have come up. So lots of demons cast out. It was crazy to think that Jesus is on Satan's side. Do you remember, do you remember the guy who, who he asks, you know, what's your name to the demon? And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And, and Legion was the Roman word for 7,000 troops, you know. And Jesus is just like, boom, you're gone, into the pigs. Um, he didn't actually snap his fingers and do the thing. Um, it was slightly more, he could. But thank heavens he didn't. Um, this would be Satan waging full-scale war on Satan. It's crazy talk. And plus, Jesus says there are other people who cast out demons. Um, he wasn't the only person who cast out demons in his day. Exorcisms were already a thing. And are they saying that they are in league with Satan too? You know, imagine if this was the Pharisees talking to him and the sons of the Pharisees, the guys who are casting out the demons, and he goes, this is the same as what they do. Are they in league with the devil? You have no further proof that I am than that they are. Jesus, was, yeah, he wasn't the one, only one doing it. And so they're incriminating them all. They're grasping at straws, really, do you see, is what's happening here. To say that he is, he's the bad guy here. The guy who just made the mute guy speak, he's the bad guy. And having dismantled their thinking, he confronts them with the reality of their situation. He says, verse 20, uh, But if a kingdom, sorry, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, there's an interesting choice of words there by Jesus. He says, the finger of God, if the finger of God is, is, is doing this. Um, it's interesting because he's probably uh, intentionally referencing something in the Old Testament there. Um, Exodus chapter 8. Uh, we've got two people here from Anchor Church. We preached this passage whilst we were at your church recently. Um, uh, yeah, Exodus chapter 8, you're in the middle of the plagues of Egypt, right? You, you guys familiar with the idea of the plagues of Egypt? There's been a few movies made about them, that sort of thing. Um, what, and it's one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. And so similarly to, to that, Jesus is here doing the signs that the kingdom has come, that, people are, that, that salvation has come to God's people. He's casting out demons. Ultimately, he's going to go to the cross to save. It's a, and, and, and Exodus, like Jesus, is a story of God's hand at work to save his people. In fact, it points forward to Jesus. Might have, mighty signs of salvation are happening. And in Exodus 8, verse 19, after the first three plagues... Um, we get this incredible moment where the magicians of Egypt... Now, do you remember the magicians of Egypt? They're, they're, they're the nasty pasties. Uh, um, they're the ones who replicated the first couple of God's signs in some way, shape, or form. 
uh, to try and convince Pharaoh that, no, no, it's all right, we can do it too. Um, and for the first time after plague number three, they can't do it. You know, they're stumped. They haven't been able to replicate this. And they, the evil magicians, right, of Egypt, pagan worshippers of false gods, in fact, guys who led other people in worship of false gods, turn to Pharaoh and they say, this is the finger of God, in that many words. Can you see the rebuke in what Jesus is saying here? Even the pagan magicians of Pharaoh were able to recognize the finger of God at work. And yet you, who claim to be the people of God, you are missing it. You're rejecting the clear appearing of God's king. And Jesus gives this little parable that shows the reality of what he's really doing. Here it is, verse 21. When, it, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks, when one stronger than he attacks him and come, overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. The strong man here is, is Satan. I'm just going to do the easy way through this. Uh, his possessions are people like this mute man, and the stronger man in the parable is Jesus. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is here in me, and I am here waging war on the kingdom of Satan. I am defeating him. But then Jesus expands out what he's saying. He makes it clear this isn't just about the mute guy. This isn't just about the demon oppressed. This isn't just about those who are possessed. There are two kingdoms in this world and you are in one of them. He says, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. That's interesting. Now, now he addresses both of those objections, right, in full both those on the other side of the fence and those who are fence sitters. He places them together. He, he takes these guys over here and he just goes... Whoosh. There are no fence sitters with Jesus. Anyone who is not with him is against him. You see, Jesus sees the world through a radically different lens to us. We look at the world and we see, we see camps. We see so many camps, right? Different factions, all different people groups, nations, levels of prosperity versus poverty, ethoses of life, worldviews. And we, we might be tempted to see Jesus as just one of the options, right? One of the things to, to pick and choose with. But whilst those things are real, above them all, Jesus sees the world accurately as just two groups of people. Those who are in the kingdom of God and those who remain in the dying kingdom of Satan. Those are those who are saved and those who are condemned. And this is a reality still. If you're not with the Saviour, you are against the Saviour. That's, that's something that, that people struggle with even today. You know, they'll, they'll go, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, but, but it means that I was baptised at some point. It doesn't mean that I'm with the Saviour. And the parable he then tells really just emphasizes what he's saying here. Jesus says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. 
Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. He's using the, the illustration of the man who has just been rescued uh, from the demon to make, to make a point here. It's not enough just to be free from being actively possessed. You might, you might get your life in order. You might have yourself sorted out morally together, at least from the outside. But unless you have the saviour, you are just setting up a well-ordered household for Satan. In the illustration, the demon that left comes back with seven more. Uh, but I think, I think the logic here extends beyond just plain old possessions. A person can clean their life up from some area of sin. Maybe a person is uh, addicted to pornography, or, or, but they manage to get out of it, right? They manage to put it behind. That happens sometimes. Maybe a person is a thief, but they manage to leave that behind. Maybe a person is a liar, but they turn over a new leaf and they decide that honesty really is the best policy after all. Whatever it is, just making a moral change isn't enough. Because you're leaving an empty space that, that invites, that demands filling, really. Wonder, have you ever had that experience that you overcome a, a bad habit, a negative behaviour in your life, only to find that there's another one or another several waiting to fill the space? The reason is that we naturally worship something. We'll naturally pursue something. We will always give our hearts to the pursuit and praise of something. And if it isn't God, then it will eventually lead to sin. John Calvin um, famously wrote that the human heart is an idol factory. That's what he's getting at there. We can, we can make an object of worship out of anything. You know, strip the world of everything but that chair and make me a man who doesn't have God and I'll worship the chair, right? It's got a hole in it. It's, sorry, I'm getting too on the chair. But we need Jesus in our lives. Nothing else will do. Let me, let me put this in the situation that happens regularly. So often, if you say to someone that you're a Christian, they'll respond with something like, you know, I'm not into religion, uh, but I'm a good person. I do my best to be good to everyone. I spoke to someone quite recently, actually, had a bit of a tragic conversation with them, actually, because we had this exact thing. Tragically, they had been talking to a pastor at some point in their life. And, and according to her, she had said to the pastor, you know, I'm not really into Jesus, but, but, and I don't go to church, but I, I try hard to be good to everyone and, and to do no harm. Isn't that enough? And this pastor looked into her eyes, according to her at least, and said, that's enough. That's not enough. <laughs> the Bible's really clear. We need a savior. You're either in the kingdom of Jesus or rejecting the king. And if you reject the king, then you are an enemy of God, hurtling toward the punishment of sin, which is hell. I don't know if, if that guy thought he was being loving to her, but but wasn't. Now, the last two verses of our passage uh, give this, this challenge that I, that I want to put before us today. Someone listening to what Jesus says uh, calls out, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. I yell it out all the time. 
Um, no, it's a bit of an odd thing to say, but basically, it must be so good to be your mum, Jesus. Uh, to be uh, related to you must be such a blessing. But Jesus' response is the challenge. It's not about who you're related to. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and who keep it. It's a call to action, do you see? You either respond to the word of God, come to Jesus in faith and are changed by him, or you are against him. So as we finish today, let me, let me ask you three questions. First, do you try to sit on the fence? Maybe you've been living under the misunderstanding that you are living a good life and Jesus is the optional extra on the side, the add-on, the upgrade. And you can make your mind up at your own leisure, right? Perhaps, perhaps you sit in church week in and week out and think to yourself, this is nice. You know, this is good. I will come here every week because and, and, the teaching is nice and I enjoy it, but I'm not willing to say that the hand of God is at work here. I'm not willing to accept that there is a power at work here that demands my repentance, my faith, that I turn from my sin and that I acknowledge Jesus as King. But I come to church, I'm a good person. Hear what Jesus is saying here. There are no fence sitters. No such thing as a, a Christian who is not a follower of Christ in everything. You are either with him or you're against him. And to be against him is a terrible, terrible place to be. Perhaps, perhaps you're willing to accept that there is a God. Some, some distant being, some reality unknowable, but you won't accept that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is the living incarnation of that God. Jesus is the word who was with God and who is God and who became flesh to save you. Jesus who claimed, I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Hear the words of your one and only salvation today. Whoever is not with me is against me. When Jesus comes back, it will be of less than no worth. I mean those words, less than no worth to you to be able to say, I believed that there was a God. That, that's enough for you to gain the response, you knew I was there and you did nothing about it? You heard that I had revealed myself in Jesus, called you to follow, and yet you declared me to be unknowable? If that's you, I'm not, I'm not saying this to crush you today. I'm saying it to free you. God has made himself known in Jesus. He sent his own son to rescue us, to bring you into saving relationship with him, to make you fully secure in him. Second question, do you live like a fence sitter? Christians, we can be tempted into the ease of this world where, where we can just trundle along like everyone else, not really giving any thought in our day-to-day -day lives. No, I'm not talking about you know, 10 through midday on a Sunday. Let's, let's go with the other, how many hours are there in a week? I'm not sure. Those ones. He calls us to be radically changed. 
from the inside out in every part of our lives. Romans 12 says, By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The mercy God has shown us calls us to display the goodness of our Saviour in in sacrificial love for others and in radical commitment to the spread of the gospel. Would that be how you describe yourself? Now, we're all growing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you need to be perfect here and now because that would be heresy, would be the word I give that. But are you someone who seeks to be living a life aligned with Jesus, who seeks to love the lost in a radical world, an otherworldly way, and, and who is seeking to reach those who don't know Christ? You know, are you willing to sacrifice to see the lost saved? Willing to change rhythms in your life? Willing to, willing to give up prosperity for the sake of of seeing people come to Christ, willing to give up hours of your life for the sake of catching up with someone and getting to know them so that they might know the Lord through you. Final question, do you know someone who thinks they can sit on the fence? I think most of us do. I think this is uh, more dominant actually here in the country than it is in the city even. Uh, We are surrounded by people who believe that they can sit on the fence. People who think that trying your best to live a good life is enough. And so a relationship with Jesus isn't something that I need. It's not enough to leave that person there. It's not loving to leave that person there. Are we ready to tell them the truth? Are you ready to see the world as Jesus sees it? As those who are in the kingdom and those who are condemned. And that we can move from one to the other. You can be saved. And so are you ready to strive to communicate the danger to those who think they can sit on the fence? Are you praying for those gospel opportunities? I'd encourage you, be. I've I've been so struck just in this last I said this last week, and I can say it again this week, by how God answers prayer, and especially prayer for the growth of his kingdom and for chances to share. You know, do we pray for that, believing that God is our dad, who loves to answer his people's prayers? Are you ready to have that conversation when the opportunity arises? And and count the cost as nothing compared to the chance for a lost sinner to come home and to find joy in Jesus. Are you willing to take the risk, maybe, to invite someone to the Alpha course? This isn't just the Alpha sermon, but it's an obvious application. Are you ready to sacrifice the time it takes to be by their side in that? When they say, you know, I don't know about this whole... You know, the thing they talked about tonight with prayer, what's, what's that all about? To be that person who's by their side and says, well, why don't we pray together and, and you can find out. You're ready to give that time to be able to see someone here and believe the good news. Let me say, we need, we need God's help here. And, and thank God he gives it. Um, we're going to finish now, though by praying together for God to give us that help.
God, keep us from the mentality of the non-existent fence that we think we can sit on. Lord, um, I want to pray for anyone here today who doesn't know you, who may be labouring under the impression that their good works are enough, that coming along to church once a week is enough, that, that to be a good person to others is enough. No one is good but Jesus. And Jesus, you died to save them, so I ask you would work in that person's life and bring them to saving faith now. I pray for, for us, Lord, that we wouldn't live like we sit on the fence, that we would have a radical commitment to your gospel that's birthed out of the great mercy that you have shown to us, that our lives would be visibly changed that we'd be ready to change the rhythms of our lives, that we'd be ready to change the use of our money, that we'd be ready to change the way that we speak to people and the way that we relate to people and the uh, way that we work and the way that we rest, all for the glory of God. Lord, lead us to be people who are decidedly off the fence. Even if it means some people think we're off our heads. You know, Jesus, lead us to be more like you because of the great grace you've shown us. And Lord, I pray for the people of our region. There are so many who will tell you that they are Christians because they were baptised at some point, but who have never had anything really to do with you. Who are lukewarm, who are distant from you, who have, not even lukewarm, who have just never believed. Lord, make us a people on the mission to them and give us opportunities. Oh Lord, our heart is to see them saved. And we know that you, Jesus, you came into this world to seek and to save the lost. So we pray, Lord, that you would be doing it here that those who stand on the other side of the fence from your kingdom would be coming in freely, that more than a hindrance to them, we would be welcomers to them, that we would be your instruments, Lord, that you would be at work. I pray for every Christian in this room that you would give them a gospel opportunity this week, even many gospel opportunities, and that you'd give them the, the heart to take it and the words to speak and the joy of the Saviour to communicate. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.